the Agile brand. Welcome to season six of the Agile brand, where we discuss marketing technology and customer experience trends, insights, and ideas with enterprise and technology platform leaders. We focus on the people, processes, data, and platforms that make brands successful, scalable, customer-focused, and sustainable. This is what makes an Agile brand. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom, advising Fortune 1000 brands on MarTech, marketing operations, and CX, best-selling author and speaker. The Agile Brand Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to teksystems.com. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that my latest book, Priority is Action, Seven Principles for Better Strategies, Decisions, and Outcomes, is now available. In it, I give ideas and insights for leaders and teams that need to make meaningful progress on their priorities. After all, our priorities are what we do, not what we say we'd like to do. You can find Priority is Action on Amazon or learn more on my website, gregkilstrom.com. Now let's get on to the show. In an increasingly data-driven world, modern brands have been forced to adapt to keep pace with the changes in the market, including one of the most significant areas of focus, which is customer data management. There's several reasons for this, from customers' expectations of more personalized experiences to the impending deprecation of third-party cookies and the increasing emphasis on consumer data privacy. Today, we're going to talk about what it really means to understand your customers better using your data and what to do as you build out your first-party data strategy. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Heidi Bullock, CMO at Telium. Heidi, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Greg. It's great to be here. Yeah, looking forward to talking about this with you. And why don't we get started with you um, giving a little background on yourself as well as your role at Telium? Absolutely. Yeah. So I've been at Telium as the CMO for just over four years. So, you know, we always hear the stats about CMOs making it only a year at companies. So I guess for myself, I, I feel very happy and proud about that. Yeah. Um, I oversee global marketing for Telium. So that that really is an interesting for your, your guests here today, just because, again, as, as something that we're talking about is customer data. And it's very different in different countries. So we, we can absolutely come back to that. But yeah, I mean, I, I really think a lot about the brand, you know, product marketing, make, making sure we're hitting, you know, all our pipeline and bookings goals. So yeah, it's been a great role for me. And I think it's been in particular very exciting because prior to that, I spent a lot of time in the MarTech space. And I think, you know, I think everyone has talked about for so long, you know, right message, right time, do, doing all the personal one-to-one marketing. And, you know, today we'll cover this more in your show, but it's becoming a reality. And, you know, when you've been in this space for a long time and you're finally seeing that come to fruition, it's very exciting. Yeah, I totally agree. It's um, it does it does feel like things are are finally aligning after you know finally. after talking, writing, all <laughs> trying to do it for years and years and years. It's like it's like when it was the it was the year of mobile for like five or six years in a row, yeah, and then finally right. the iPhone came out, and then yeah. and then it actually was. So yeah, no, I, I to- totally agree. Well, so yeah, let's let's dive in here. You know, we're going to talk about a few aspects of of um, customer data today, um, but let's start with defining a first-party data strategy and, and what that really means. So how do you define a, a first-party data strategy? 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think I'll, I'll just start with what first party data is because I'm not, I, I don't know that it's a term that everyone knows well. I mean, I'd even say over the past few years, even in marketing, I'm surprised at how many people, you know, don't necessarily know what it is. But just to start there, I mean, it's data that your organization has collected directly from your buyer, which I think is really, really important. And, and it's kind of obvious why it's better than, say, third party data which again, that's going to be data that typically, you know, nine times out of 10, you're buying that data. It's going to be less accurate, incomplete. And what I like about first party data, because somebody's providing it to you directly, again, it's going to be more timely, current, all those things. But number one, it's consented, which is something, again, we'll, we'll probably touch on more. And so that's first party data. And then I think having a first party data strategy to me is being really thoughtful about how you collect, handle data, and how you use it. And I think a lot of companies, you know, probably several years ago have really, I mean, I think Telium's been talking about this for quite a long time, but it is really thinking about not just depending on third-party data and data that you're purchasing, but how do you think about data, your, your customer data as an, a real asset for your business. In my view, it's probably one of the most valuable assets your company has. And so you want to have a team that steps back and thinks about, you know, how are we collecting this from, you know, all the, the different sources that our buyers engage with us, whether that's, you know, point of sale data, web data, mobile data, all, all the places, how are we bringing that together and ensuring that it's, you know, compliant, used well within the company. It's again, it's something we can talk about more, but it's not just marketing that uses this data. Your product right. team probably wants to look at this data. Your success team needs to look at this data. So it's just being thoughtful and proactive about all those pieces. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, this to totally makes sense that it should be important for organizations. And, and you know, given that definition of it, Seems like it should have always been important to um, to brands, and and um, I'm sure in, in some ways it always was. But why is it so important now? You know, what's what's the focus right now? What are, what are kind of the some of the external and even internal factors that are that are making this focus on, on first party data so important? Yeah, and, and Greg, you already kind of touched on on these earlier, but I mean, I think the first thing that we've seen are the web browser changes with you know third party cookies and data being you know, phased out due to changes in regula regulation and, and, and yeah. changes with different tech companies that, that we will not name right now, but I think everybody <laughs> knows who they are. And, and you know, some of that, I think the, the, the can's getting kicked down the road a little bit, but I think everyone can see it's going to be inevitable that change is coming. So I think for a long time, everyone's been saying, you know, don't depend on that, not, not only for knowing your buyer, but for all your analytics and attribution. I mean, that's really important. And two, you know, and I touched on this earlier with my role as data privacy changes for, for everyone listening yeah. that has marketed to Canada and Germany for a long time. We know this, right? It's that the way customer data is treated and handled is, is very sensitive and people there, there's a lot of uh, uh, laws and regulations around it. And I think now we're seeing that across the board. I mean, with GDPR and CCPA, the way we all use data, it's so different. I mean, I remember early in my career, like, yes, people bought lists. You would, yeah. you would share lists at trade shows. I remember doing it and it was, and no one thought twice about it. And now that's just, you know, I think p uh, the consumers just, they're over it and, and people don't want that. So 
I would say those are the real reasons, but just something, I, I guess I'm a, an optimist, but <laughs> I also think that the cool thing with first party data is guess what? You can do better marketing. That's what I like. It, it, it's not just, oh, bummer. I can't use third party you know, data. But to me, when you're actually engaging your buyer, finding out what they care about, you can actually do a better job as a marketer, which is what I get excited about. It's, it, it's, to me, it's more the carrot, not the stick. Yeah. Yeah. I, no, I, I love that. I completely agree with that. And I, I think that's the, it's the, it's the win-win, right? And I, you know, I always try to find that in, in what I do, but you know, in this case it actually is, is like, okay, yeah, it's better. It's better for customers. Their data isn't being sold and traded by who knows who and, and marketers can do a better job, which kind of, kind of leads me to the, the next topic I wanted to talk about and, you know, to talk about, you know, we define what is a first party data strategy, but let's talk about what it looks like to do it well. And and often uh, a core part of that is employing a, a customer data platform or a CDP. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, a unified view of the customer seems pretty straightforward, but it's anything but for any of us who have ever tried to stitch together a million pieces of data without some kind of platform or, or tools to do that, um, particularly with how many channels most brands are interacting with their customers on and potential customers on. So what what's a CDP's role here? Yeah, I mean, I think a CDP, and it's it's kind of what I said earlier, it's funny, like at all the years that I've spent in MarTech, I mean, I spent years at Marketo, and I think everyone always talked about it even then, like omni-channel marketing, the ability to create these experiences. And just as you just said, Sounds great. No one here is going to argue that's important. We all right. get it, but it's the doing it that is. I mean, I think I uh, have. Uh, it's taken years off my life, probably. Personally. <laughs> but you know, I think what's great about CDPs, I'll, I'll highlight. You know, some things that I think are important. I think the first part is is CDPs that start at data collection and doing so, you know, real time because I I think that's where it really gets exciting. And I think you know CDPs, you know. The idea here, just for everyone, that is they help you collect all the right data, whether that's server side, client side. So you just think about all the different data sources, whether that's call center data, mobile data, website data, you know, bringing that together and making sure that data is filtered and enriched. So it's like, we know Greg is Greg because Greg may have, you may have five different email addresses, but making right. sure that all that's current and updated and again, compliant. And then being able to act on that data, which is really important. And I think this, this everyone knows too, but you know, all consumers today, you're never, you don't think in channels. I don't wake up and say, wow, I'm going to, you know, pop on my mobile device and buy <laughs> shoes. Like you, you might, you know, get distracted. Maybe a meeting's not going so well and you're like, I'm just going to browse off to the side or do other things. And, and, and I know McKinsey, they have great data on this, but most consumers are minimally on three channels, Right. And you're going to be doing different things. And what I like is that, you know, people expect these seamless experiences, but, you know, I think all the data shows that most companies just are not keeping up with that. And the ones that do are winning. And the idea, and this is an example I love, you might be looking at shoes online, you purchase them and it's like, great, I'm happy I have the shoes. The joy lasts hopefully a while. (laughs) Right. you do not want to get targeted for a discount on those shoes after you've bought them. And to me, that's what a real-time CDP does. It's basically connects data in real time and it helps you understand, 
okay, here's this point of sale data. Greg bought those shoes. Now let's suppress ads to, to him because it, that, that you know, uh, transaction has already occurred. So it really, at the highest level, CDPs enable that in the moment experience and that, that kind of in the moment marketing we've all talked about, um, and it makes it a reality uh, behind the scenes. So it's pretty exciting. And I would say even obviously outside of retail, you know, a lot of industries need this, right? Um, I, I think like, yeah. to me, pharmaceutical companies, healthcare companies, financial services companies, especially where data is very, very sensitive, you even have, I, I think, more of a, a high bar for your experience. Like to me, if I get some message from my healthcare provider that doesn't make sense, like that's not a good feeling. I'm yeah. even going to be a little more forgiving with say, you know, a retail company than I would my financial services or healthcare company. So it's, it's really important. And I think, you know, companies that are adopting this are, like I said, they're seeing a lot of success. Before we continue, I'd like to introduce you to a sponsor of the show, Partner Hero. Customer service outsourcing has long been available mainly to large enterprise businesses with long-term contracts and onerous procurement processes. Partner Hero is challenging business as usual and bringing the benefits of outsourcing to small and medium businesses as well as startups. With short, flexible contracts and fast ramp-up times, Partner Hero is making customer support outsourcing a viable option for small and medium businesses and startups. It's perfect for companies with seasonality expecting a temporary spike in volume or that simply need to scale up. And their focus on quality means your customers will get an experience that feels like it comes from your team. If you're ready to bring in outside customer support help for your company that feels like it's part of your existing team, check out Partner Hero. Head on over to partnerhero.com agile, that's partnerhero.com A-G-I-L-E, to book a free consultation with their solutions team. Mention you heard about Partner Hero from the Agile brand and they'll waive the setup fee. Before we get back to the show, I just wanted to remind you to hit the follow or subscribe button on your app to make sure you get notified when new episodes of this show are available. Now let's get back to the show. And and so to build on on that, you know, another component of this is uh, you know, not every organization is quite at the one-to-one personalization level and there's, you know, there's a lot of audience segmentation being done, it's being done in a million different ways. Some are, let's call it less scientific than others. Some are a lot more data-driven. You know, how does a CDP help in understanding the best way to, to do segmentation? Because it's still definitely a, you know, a, a great way to, to, to reach audiences. It is. I mean, I think like if you kind of just think about a CDP, especially real time when it's used correctly, think this is like the big takeaway message, I think it just shrinks that time to conversion. Why? Because you're acting on real-time data signals, behavioral that maybe are occurring on your website or, or mobile app. And then a buyer, think about this, rather than you having to send follow-up emails, all the things that is that are delaying that conversion, CDPs just shrink that. And why? Because you can create these more relevant, accurate segments based on that real-time behavioral data. That's what's exciting to me. So a simple example, um, you know, one of our customers, ASU, and this is really cool. There may be students that, you know, say, gosh, you know, this, this, uh, this class isn't going well, and I, I may want to drop this class, and they may be on the website. And those signals, they can actually act on 
to help say, hey, this person maybe needs some additional help in this class. Like there's all these really powerful use cases. And I, I, to me, that's just what's so exciting. And, and good segmentation is not just based on looking back. It's not looking back in your rearview mirror and, and saying, oh, this person bought these three pairs of shoes. Gosh, they're certainly going to want another pair, right? It incorporates, wow, this person now looks like they might be in a cold destination. They, they might not be looking for flip-flops. They might want some winter boots. And so again, like CDPs can ingest and integrate this data real time. So that way your, your segments or think about your audiences, they can be dynamically updated. So that way you can create these better experiences. And then again, what we all want is really shrinking that time to conversion. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the other thing you touched on was just the, the relevance of it, right? I mean, I don't, We'll have the stats in front of me, but you know, people are more open to marketing that is relevant to them than things are, you know, like the shoe example, or, you know, I, I got a car recently and I do not need to see more ads for cars right now. I'm, I'm good no. on cars. You're good. Um, you for, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I might want more, but you know, I'm good. I'm good. But, um, so, you know, all of this kind of leads to the, the, the data and the analytics part as well as, you know, being able to do things like predicting churn or propensity to buy, whether that's at the segmentation level or even the individual level. How do you look at, you know, what, what's a, what should a good CDP provide from that analytics and, and data perspective, uh, knowing you touched a little bit on this? but Yeah. And, and your churn example is probably one of the best ones that we've seen over the last few years, like just having the data to understand you know, th this particular key segment I care about, wow, the behavior is changing. Okay. And then you can actually put those folks in another key segment, or, or we call them audiences that then you can, can act on. But I think for me, like the, the analytics groupings I think a lot about are, I mean, the first and foremost, let's just be honest, is just having the data. And, and, and to me, CDPs, that ability just to reduce time and effort to insight. So yeah. like if you have data that's going into a data warehouse and then somebody's analyzing it, it's like analysts are, it's like 80% of their time is data wrangling. So it's like, that isn't great, right? Because by the time you get those insights as a marketer, you're like, well, <laughs> like a lot of those opportunities might be gone. Right. So again, going back to that real time piece. So reducing time to insight is to me the first one. The second one is analyzing that cross-channel behavior and starting to identify patterns and starting to identify, like you, you see this a lot in the retail space where a lot of people, I mean, especially with the holidays right now, shop in person and they, they you know, they see things, they touch them, they, they get a sense of if they like it and then they buy it online. So yeah. how can I understand patterns like that and, and, and optimize for that? Yeah. I think, you know, building predictive insights, which, which we'll get to as well. It's like understanding the data and then using, you know, machine learning and AI to get ahead of things, which is huge for churn and a, and a big area that, that I think a lot about. And then, yeah, I mean, I just think again, like being able to act on that data in real time so that you can kind of make adjustments when it matters. Like, like you said, like thinking about um, the car example, you've bought the car you do not want to see some discount for that car. Like, <laughs> right, that would right. not land well, right? And and we all get it. Or or something that you're you're marketed to that's just downright strange. You're like, you're like I don't know why they think I I want you know cat food if I don't have a cat. So right. <laughs> I just think the ability to collect that data, have it in real time, and and 
analyze it then so you can use it versus kind of, I think historically, it's just been a lot of a, it's like by the time that data is examined, it's almost too late. And, and that's kind of, to me, the holy grail. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so you you touched on um, AI as well. And I've, I feel like it's a requirement that I ask at least one AI related question on, on my show sure. um, every, every, every episode. So, <laughs> you know, you mentioned predictive, there's, you know, certainly interesting things happening with generative and, you know, all, and combinations of, of many types of AI. Where, where do you see the role of, of AI and in, in all of this to, to improve things and, you know, to be able to use the data, maybe even protect customer data? You know, where, where do you see AI, AI's role here? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we we need a whole other podcast just just on AI. There, there's a lot yeah. of there's a lot of areas, but I think the first thing that I think about with AI is, you know, I think companies and teams have done an an amazing job with a lot of the models, and I think the models folks have in my in my prediction is that a lot of these models at some point will be somewhat commoditized. And going back to my first point, the thing that will matter the most is the data that is being fed into the models. And we all know the saying, you know, it's like garbage in, garbage out. And and we've seen it, right? Where the model could be amazing that the data scientist puts together, but if the data being used is poor, substandard, you know, missing key elements, it's it's almost like what you get out of it's not great. And so in my mind, it's really thinking about how we can collect, you know, consented, filtered, enriched data in real time that can be used for these models. And I think that, again, the companies that have that, it'll be such an advantage because you'll be able to understand, you know, hey, this audience segment, they typically, based on on, on this, you know, these algorithms do X and you can get ahead of it. That's exciting to me. And, and, And I think that, you know, we've all talked about next best action for a long time and and I think a lot of that's becoming real. It's it's just we're in such a, an exciting time. But I think, again, AI is a big area, but just keeping things really kind of simple, it's you just have to have good data coming in and making sure that you like I would say that to everyone right now, just get that part right and make sure it's consented, because in some cases you might be using data where that's not the case and, and then you can't really use those results. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a great segue to the the last topic I wanted to talk about. I, I know you touched on um, data privacy a, a little bit earlier, but I want to dive in a little deeper here. And, you know, much of the reason as we had talked about already for first party data to be so um, such a important thing right now is um, in some ways due to a need for greater consumer data privacy. So, as as we talked about the the ad, the car example, the shoe examples, things like that, you know, customers are often feeling not only inundated with things that may not be relevant, but also brands that are asking for a lot from them. You know, whether it's the types of questions they ask, or I feel like in general we're kind of over surveyed as human beings <laughs> in, in general. You know, what would your advice be to brand? And I guess at the same time, though, you know, most people, not, I, w- I wouldn't say everybody knows how MarTech works and, and everything like that, of course. But I think, you know, a lot of people understand that if you give a little bit more, you're going to get more personalized recommendations. I mean, you can see that with using Netflix or, you know, lots of things in the, you know, that a lot of consumers use. But that said, we're still, brands ask for a lot um, of information without necessarily demonstrating the value of 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 what that 
that information is going to give, you know, what, what would your advice be to brands around, you know, just thinking around this, how to think when and how to ask for the data that they want and, uh, you know, what they really need about their customers? Yeah. I mean, I, it's your survey comment was funny <laughs> because it's like what we all do not need is another like 50 page survey. And you know, when you, you're like, I'm going to be a good citizen and start it. And it's like, oh no, right. there's 10 more pages. Right, um, right. You don't want to do that. Yeah. I, I think there's two things I always think about. I think about, you know, many of your, your kind of uh, listeners have heard about value exchange, right? And it's, it's really mapping out somebody's journey when they're, it's, it's almost like dating. If it, it's a, I hate that analogy, but it, it really does work. It's like when you're first going out on a date with somebody, you know, what makes sense for you to ask and, and what are they willing to give back versus like, you know, when you're married, it's like, it's, it's all fair, right? Pe- people know the family members. <laughs> right, like, right. I'm on the crazy aunt. It's okay. But you're not going to do that on the first date. And so I really like when somebody's like, hey, you know, like I saw this for, you know, Black Friday, Cyber Monday. It's like, if you buy this now, you will ensure, you know, you get, you know, premier shipping and it's going to be delivered today. Like, that's cool. Like, okay. I'm willing to to maybe join a loyalty program for an amazing shipping uh, experience. That's great. And so I think it's just kind of figuring out, like, maybe when somebody's first engaging with your brand, don't do the 40 page survey that's not the appropriate time. So I think that like, um, there's a lot of companies that do this well. And I think it's, it's, and I know like say some luxury brands, they don't want to give discounts, but maybe some brands that makes sense. But I just think it's like, for whatever you're asking, the value you're giving back has to be equal. You can't ask somebody to do this huge survey and say, Oh, great. Like, you get a little smiley face email, like no one cares, right? Like that's right. that's not what I want. So you've got to think through that. And and I think, you know, some, another thing for people to think about is sort of the zero party data where, yep, we're going to throw out another term because <laughs> we can and it's fun, <laughs> but really how you can engage somebody in the moment on your website. And I think the one of the, an example I love is um, if people want to check this out, it's the Neutrogena website and they have an area called quizzes. And they ask about, you know, do you have, you know, what is, what's your skin condition? Do you have dry skin, oily skin? Are you worried about sun damage? Like, what are the things? And it's like, it tailors your experience. It's like your, your point with Netflix, like what kind of films do you want to be seeing? And so I think when you can ask questions that help tailor the experience, that's also really great too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, Heidi, thanks so much for joining the show. Um, one last question before we wrap up here. Um, you've given a lot of great advice, insights already. What's uh, one next best action you'd recommend for those listening that want to improve their first party data strategy? What, what should they start doing today? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing that I would do is just have a team in your company and you could be the person that helps kick this off that thinks about customer data and, and and basically says, look, this is something that we need to think about and it's important because the one thing I will say, it's 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 a team sport. This isn't uh, American Idol where it's just you up there singing. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's like you're going to need to involve different folks. And I think start with that and get, get make sure you have legal, the, the right folks involved, IT, and then make sure that you have a good way of collecting that data, even if you're not actioning on it right away just start collecting consented data. And that's the place I would start. And, and there's so many people doing this and, and a lot of resources and folks to help, but that is where I would start. 
Yeah, yeah, I love it. Well, again, I'd like to thank Heidi Bullock, CMO at Telium, for joining the show. You can learn more about Heidi and Telium by following the links in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to The Agile Brand, brought to you by Tech Systems. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can access more episodes of the show at www.gregkillstrom.com. That's G-R-E-G-K-I-H-L-S-T-R-O-M.com. While you're there, check out my series of best-selling Agile brand guides covering a wide variety of marketing technology topics, or you can search for Greg Kilstrom on Amazon. The Agile brand is produced by Missing Link, a Latina-owned, strategy-driven, creatively-fueled production co-op. From ideation to creation, they craft human connections through intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Until next time, stay agile. The Agile Brand.